Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa <coughs> Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Welcome friends to this second uh, session with regards to the hindrances and today what we're going to be going through is we're going to be going through each hindrance individually um, as I mentioned briefly uh, two days ago the Buddha gives talks about nourishment and denourishment as a matter as a matter of fact the there's a couple of different suttas that talk about the hindrances, but the main one that I'm going to be um, relying on in this, uh, for this uh, talk today is in the Sanyutta Nikaya, it's number 46. So when, when you do the Samyutta Nikaya, there's 50, I believe 56 Samyuttas in the Samyutta Nikaya. So that it's going to be the 46th Samyutta, which is the Bojhanga Samyutta. Interestingly enough, the hindrances are under the seven factors of awakening section. But, and so the sutta number is 51. So 4651. And it's called Ahara, which is nutriment. In that section, in the Bojhanga Samyutta, there's actually a whole section called the Nivarana Vaga, which is a whole section, about five or six or seven suttas, all about the five hindrances. So, let's uh, go right into the first hindrance. Kamachanda, or the, the desire for sensual pleasures, the, the sensual desire. So, as we explained, um, as I explained very briefly, but then this is the the desire for us to chase things that are pleasant for us. The Buddha called these things the five cords of sensual pleasures. These are any experiences through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body that are very pleasant and that we want to continue to have and we don't want to be parted from and we want to, we want to continue to have that pleasant feeling. And so the nutriment the Buddha says if, if you want to feed your sensual desire, if you want to increase your sensual desire, well, this is what you do. Give careless attention to, it's translated, the sign of the pleasant. The first thing I'll talk about is the careless attention part. I spoke to you guys about yoniso manisakara, which is wise intention, wise ideation viewing something with wise understanding, careful, heedful uh, attention, <clears throat> as opposed to a yoniso manasakara, which is not wise attention. So right off the bat, you'll see this is the, the nutriment is giving careless attention. And so the sign of the pleasant uh, often otherwise translated to the sign of the beautiful. Um, the Pali word there is subha nibbata. 
Um, nimitta means sign, and subha can mean beautiful, it can mean um, happy, it could also mean pleasant. So I, when, when you hear me talk about pleasant and unpleasant, I'm talking about subha and asubha. So what does this mean to give careless attention to these things? If you watch the monastics as we're walking and doing all these kind of things, especially if it's together in a profession, procession, we're trying not to go look all, all around and all these kind of things. And we're trying to be focused on just what we're doing. Like I like to follow my, you know, my feet because like, I'm walking meditation. And so this is, instead of going around, oh, oh, I like that. Oh, that person's hot. Oh, I like that color. I like that car. I like this. I like And you're just going... That thing that Bonte had up yesterday, the Oghas, the floods, right? One of the ones is Kamoga. It's the flood of sensual desire. There are more things that you can experience, pleasant things that you can experience out there in this flood than you could ever experience in one lifetime, which is why we've been doing this for untold amounts of lifetimes. So this is the flood of sensual desire, the flood of sensual pleasures. And it's very easy for us to drown in that flood. Very easy. And the Buddha says that this practice is going against the stream. So crossing the stream, like from that, uh, that graphic yesterday. And so when we have these, this hindrance, if our mind, if, if we're flirting all over, and you know, wasn't there like that one that movie Finding Nemo and there was a fish that was always going like this. Yeah, that's like, that's like what we can be. So, and if you're doing that, you're just following what's going on, following after all these pleasant experiences, what's happening to your mind? Your mind is going all over too. Your mind is just totally enraptured in all of these things. And with that, there's no clarity. There's no... Um, you know, there's no yonaso manasakara. So the Buddha says then, what is the denutriment, the denourishing of Kamachanda? And that is paying wise attention, yonaso manasakara, to the asubhanimata, things that are unpleasant paying frequent attention to these things. Now, why is that? It's because we're trying to come back to a balance, right? We're trying to, um, when, we, when we, some of you might know what asubha meditation is, right? That's the um, examining the body, the 32 parts of the body. And people often think that that's like, because like if you're really like, you know, full of sexual lust and you have to think of like, gory body parts and all these kind of things um, to, to try to get rid of that lust. And that's one aspect of it. But if you really look at it as a balance, you know, we, the body is just the body. It's a biological machine. You know, we get attached to it, just like we get attached to all these things that are very pleasant. We think the body is pleasant and these kind of things. But we're, what the Buddha wants us to do is to Examine the other side of that, right? This body is pleasant. You know, oh, the hair is very pleasant until it falls off and goes in your soup. Then it's not so pleasant anymore, 
these kind of things. So <clears throat> doing, doing these practices like the charnel ground contemplation, examining the, the, the decomposition of a corpse, examining the, you know, like flowers, right? We love flowers. And uh, what I find funny is that the, you know, the flower is supposed to mean impermanence, but the interesting thing about it is every Buddhist place I've ever been to, they never let dead flowers stay up there for, for long, right? Why? We don't want it. We don't, no, that's unpleasant. Change it, put good flowers. If it was up to me, it would just be dead flowers. <laughs> because then you could see, oh, because everybody knows good, pleasant flowers and pleasant things, but they don't want to, to um, really understand that, oh yeah, there's one kind of dead one. There's a good one right there, see? <laughs> so that one's teaching you a lesson. Well, the other one is too. But so examining the, the other side is, helps you come to that balance. Not that you, <clears throat> it's not that you can all of a sudden you just have an aversion and you hate these things. That's actually the next one. But you come to a balance. You're using, so, so you're way on one side with sensual desire. And you're applying the tools to push you back to the middle. So, you know, it's basically being mindful, having yonisu manasakara in what you're doing when you're dealing with all of these experiences that occur. And um, same thing like when you're eating. One thing that I, I usually do, but I didn't do for this uh, retreat, was I usually give like a, a, a little mindfulness of eating spiel in the beginning of each retreat, talking about you know, how you watch, your, you watch your body and mind as you're waiting for the food and all these kind of things. Food is another thing, right? We can get really, oh man, this food, it smells good, it looks good, all these kind of things, and we get all wrapped up into it. Right? So we want to, uh, if we want to, <clears throat> if we want to have this kamachanda be denourished in our mind, then we practice the opposite of that. We practice um, so that we, when we have these, when we're in the flood of, uh, you know, uh, kamoga, when we're in the flood of these things, then we can just have equanimity not be enraptured in it and wrapped up in it and have a, a mind that's totally focused on these kind of things. So the uh, Bhante Sila told you very briefly the other day, his first talk, um, the similes for the hindrances. Each one, of the simile, each one of the hindrances has a simile and it all involves a pot of water. So it's, it's, very, it's a very common uh, theme that to equate the clear, crystal clear, calm water to the mind. Okay. And so this, uh, the, the simile for Kamachanda is if you had this pot full of water and then somebody came along and they put red dye and blue dye and yellow dye and green dye and all these various pretty colors and everything, and, you know, which is being pretty to look at, but you, don't, you can't see the water anymore. The water's not clear. And so the Buddha says, when the mind is like this, you don't know the good of yourself. You don't know what's good for others. You don't know what's good for both. You don't know the escape from sensual desire. 
and you don't know the um, the you know you, you're unable to attain you know these deep states of concentration. So the next one is biapada, which is ill will or malevolence. <clears throat> the nutriment, the nutriment to ill will. If you have lots of ill will and you want to add more, you want to become like a Sith or something like that, some evil guy, some evil dude or woman, then you just want to nutri. I have this ill will and you just want to feed on it and just do more of it. Right? And so that's what it is, giving careless attention to the sign of things that are, it's patighana, which is anger, um, aversion, dislike. So you're driving along, somebody cuts you off, and you just have this focus on this person. I can't believe they did this. Blah, blah, blah. You know, you're in the office. Something, you know, something angers you. Something, it, um, something brings up some kind of aversion or annoyance, and you just allow yourself to be wrapped up in it and to just go, like I was talking about at the, other, the Q&A the other day about getting put in that roller coaster, and you just... And, uh, and you're there to the end. So this is, th that's how you nourish this ill will, if that's really what you want to do. Um, and if, but if you don't, it's good to recognize that, oh, okay, I have this anger in me. I have this ill will. I have this aversion. And as you practice and as you understand, you can realize that, you know, okay, I don't have to follow it. But that's something that comes with with time and with practice. But that's how you, to nourish it is to give this uncareful, unmindful attention to thoughts of ill will and aversion and anger that come up into your mind. So how do you denourish this? The answer the Buddha gives is metta chetovamuti, which is the release of mind by loving friendliness. It's practicing metta. You, you do this by practicing metta. Now it's not very often that you're able to, when you're in the throes of anger and all these kind of things and you're angry and in a, uh, that kind of mind state, it's very hard to practice metta there. Actually, Bhante G always makes a little joke. If somebody's coming at you with a bat, you can't give them metta at that time. So you practice metta to set the groundwork for your, the, the denourishing of these thoughts to arise when situations come that bring up aversion. So the more you practice metta the, and the more you abide in metta, the more you make it your vehicle, the, the more you make it part of your mindfulness, what you do every day and what you're doing, when something comes up that, that brings you aversion, well, you'll notice, okay, well, I'm not as angry anymore. This doesn't bother me as much as it used to. I'm more equanimous regarding this. And so that's why it, it, it's very, that's why you denourish, that's how you denourish your ill will and your anger. And the, um, I forgot where I was going, but anyway. Mm -hmm. So this is how the, uh, 
you know, you, oh, yeah, now I remember where I was going. And I think I, I briefly might have mentioned it um, at my Q&A. Right? There's a, uh, a, a simile, a sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya 5.161. It's called um, dealing with uh, aversion right? or dealing with uh, hatred. And the Buddha gives five ways. If somebody, he says, if somebody brings up aversion in you or something brings up aversion, the first thing you do is practice metta. The next thing you do, if that doesn't work, you practice compassion. If that doesn't work, you try to avoid and ignore them. If that doesn't work, you practice equanimity. And if that doesn't work, you practice the uh, understanding that they are owners of their karma. But you can see the first one is metta. So that is <clears throat> what you do with ill will. That is the the um, the medicine for vyapada when it arises, um, and also to set the groundwork for it not to arise anymore. And this is these these first two, right? The kamachanda and vyapada are right there in the three character, not the three characteristics of existence. What we have the three roots: greed, hatred, and delusion. So we have our hands full just with these first two. <laughs> these are big ones. These are deeply, deeply rooted. And these are also fetters as well. So with these, um, we move on to the next one, which is, oh, I'm sorry, the pot of water simile. So what, would you, what could you imagine? What, what would the simile be for a pot of water with, with anger and ill will? A boiling pot. Yeah, you look at a boiling pot of water and all the water and everything, the bubbles are coming up. You can't see. You can't see clearly at all. You can't see your own reflection. You can't see what's good for you, what's good for others. You can't see the, um, the escape from that. So that's that simile. So the next one is one of the most interesting ones. It's Tinna Midha, Sloth and Torpor. Now, this one, um, for, for me personally, this one has been the, my bane for at least about a year and a half, two years. Those of you who've been meditating for quite a while, maybe you, you know, after you start meditating, you start noticing that a lot of the other hindrances start to lessen. You know, like there's a lot of, maybe there's not a lot of um, restlessness in your mind and all these kind of things. Um, and when you get, when you come to sit down, there's more peace and calm. And, and so then, then, you know, you thought you, you battled, you thought you got really far and battled off all these, these hard things. And then all of a sudden you're just going like this and go, I mean, and Every, even if you had eight hours of sleep, you're meditating, you're still going like this. It's hard. Um, uh, you know, what, what I've come to understand, interestingly enough, is, you know, normally, when, when is the only time, the average person out in the world, when is the only time that a person's really calm and quiet and, you know, their mind is slowing down and all that kind of stuff? Right before they're about to sleep. Yeah. So in, in examining my own mind, I've kind of noticed it's, it's like, your mind is just so not used to having a, a, a calmer, clear mind 
from not worried about worrying about all these things in the past and the future. And so it's like, oh, okay, it's time to sleep. Let's go. And this is, you know, and I, I've spoken to other advanced meditators and they've kind of confirmed that, that this, you know, sloth and torpor um, is really, really, really hard. <clears throat> and so the nutriment, what is, uh, if you want to increase your sloth and torpor, what do you do? And the nutriment is frequently giving careless attention to discontent, lethargy, laziness, tiredness. You know, what happens usually when you wake up in the morning, right, and you're kind of still in this groggy state, and it, like, it actually kind of feels good, and you don't want to get up, because then you know that wouldn't feel so good. And you just go like, your, your, your alarm goes off, you just shut it off, and then you're like, and then you go back to sleep, right? That's like that state of being stuck in this, this lethargy, this tiredness, and instead of trying to get out of that, you're just attending to it, you're enjoying it, you're allowing it to, to be part of your mind, and then you just drift back into tiredness and sleepiness and all these kind of things. And so the denutriment for sloth and torpor is the opposite of that. When you wake up, maybe you have to do something, maybe you have to pour water on your face instead of enjoying just sitting there and, and, and you know, carelessly attending and enjoying all the, the tiredness and the sweetness of that. You investigate so investigation and then you put in energy you put in effort so investigation energy and effort investigation is important if you look at the uh, the seven factors of awakening the first one is sati it's mindfulness and so with when you develop sati when you when you begin to you know if, if you're in a situation where you're tired and you decide okay I'm going to be mindful of this right so you, you choose to be mindful the second thing the second factor of awakening is dhamma it's investigation of dhammas so with mindfulness comes when, when you're mindful you see things that you didn't see before and that perks curiosity, and that gets you, oh, that's interesting. Let me see what's going on here. Then that's when you decide to make an investigation. And then right after Dhammavichya is virya, energy. So when you investigate, something becomes interesting, you have that energy. It's like you're following the breath, and you're getting kind of bored. Yeah, it's coming in, it's coming out. Yeah, I know, I see. And you get bored, and then you start to nod off. If you're using sloth and torpor as an object of your investigation, of your meditation, when you're, you're, you're there, you say, okay, when is, let me see for the signs of it. And you start to see that, instantly that's when you're like, okay, bring up the mindfulness, 
investigate. Do I need to change my object of meditation for a time? You know, one of the things I've, I've, I never kind of understood why people do this, you know, like one of the, like the hand um, positions. And I was never big on caring about how my hands were positioned. But about a year ago, I was reading and the person was saying that this actually helps you to understand if you're being mindful. So if you're like getting sleepy, you're like, your fingers will start to drift. And so since I've started doing that, I, can use, I use that when I'm, when I'm mindful. As soon as I start going like this, okay, investigate what's going on, you know, these kind of things. So it, instead of, oftentimes, it, before, you know, before I really started trying to investigate sloth and torpor, I'd be meditating and I feel like I'm, I'm all good and, and yeah, I'm watching, following my breath. And all of a sudden, the next, the next thing I, I, I'm aware of is I feel like I just woke up. And in, indeed, one of, the, uh, one of my favorite jokes um, from Bhante G is about Jonas. He says that the, the joke is that, um, especially when he's talking about sloth and torpor, he, the joke is people are meditating and then they fall asleep and they wake up and they said, I've attained fourth jhana. <laughs> but no, they were asleep. So this is, you know, the, this, is the, um, this is the practice of, of really kind of seeing that, especially when, you're, when you are to the point where, you know, you're, you're getting calm and peaceful. That's actually, instead of letting your mindfulness feeling like, okay, my, I, I was all anxious, that's gone. I can, I can kind of loosen my awareness now. I don't have to worry about anything. That's, that's when the next hindrance gets you. That's when sloth and torpor is like, oh, okay. Now it's my turn. I'm going to drag you to the abyss. I, I can remember one of my meditation sessions where the only time I actually saw myself going into this, this darkness, and I was like right at the lip. I, 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 the, the, what I thought of it as is like a, like a tidal wave or a whirlpool. Right? And you're just slowly going down, and you're not paying attention. And there was one time where I saw myself right at almost to the end, and I was like, okay, boom. And I got up, I opened my eyes, and, and I really kind of, you know, just to avoid that. But so this is with sloth and torpor, and with all these the, the, the hindrances, this is what it takes to really kind of to take it as your object. And like I said the other day, these hindrances are your friends. They're teaching you. They're showing you why, what you have to do, where you have to go. And so developing, deciding, you know, bringing your mindfulness up, investigating, that's how you denourish this tired and sloth and, and, and lazy feelings, right? If you're, if you're following, you know, if you're following your breath and it starts to get boring, follow your body for a time. That's what I do. I'll follow, I'll follow my body and I'll be focused on something and then all of a sudden the breath comes back to my center of awareness. And then I follow the breath again. So, you know, you do what you have to do to bring up, to investigate so that you break through that sloth and torpor. You know, if you, if you go off your breath for a little bit, it's okay, that's fine. It's, it's, better, it's better that you were at least practicing maybe a Satipatthana practice than being asleep. Because when you're asleep, you're not practicing anything. Um, so, and that really, you know, doing this energetic 
practice brings up that sense of urgency that you know you you want to do this and you want to um, um, continue your practice and and not oh, be lazy and tired and all this kind of stuff all the time. And so there's a uh, a funny sutta in the um, Anguttara Nikaya that's seven dot five eight and it's literally called dozing. And uh, Bhante actually mentioned it, um, but it's Mahamogalana. He's the one to the left of the Buddha. As you have Sariputta on his right and Mahamogalana on his uh, left. Um, so Mahamogalana, is, uh, this is obviously before he was enlightened and he's meditating and he's dozing off and he's dozing off and he's trying to practice. And then the Buddha comes and says, Mogalana, are you sleeping? Are you dozing? And he says, yes, yes, Bhante. And so then the, the Buddha gives him these methods to what to deal um, with your sleeping and your dozing. The first one is the, the denourishing. The first one is don't pay careless attention. Don't get wrapped up in this laziness and, and, and sleepiness and all these kind of things. Don't get wrapped up in that. So the careful attention and investigation and energy. The second one is thinking about the Dhamma, thinking about the teachings. And you know, what have you learned? What did I learn about sloth and torpor? You know, these kind of things. So, so you're, you're starting to bring up these, these reminders and that can you know, help you get out from the brink the third one is actually, if you memorized the Dhamma, if you memorized any suttas, you actually like chant them. You know, just go through, um, you know, that. And that kind of can help you be a little bit more awake. The next one is, actually, if, you, if that doesn't work, if it's too tired, you pinch your ears. You know, you pinch your ears or... Uh, you rub your limbs, you know, doing all these kind of things, whatever you do to, to keep yourself from falling asleep. And then after that, if that doesn't work, you get up and you wash your face. And wash your face and or try to wake up and then you go back to your meditation. And if that doesn't work, you should perceive light. It's an interesting one that nobody has much to say about, interestingly enough. It's just, you're imagining the perception of light. And the Buddha says, as day, so in night. As night, so in day. So you're just basically kind of like imagining that, like a brightness. Um, and that can help you to, um, you know, to go against your sloth and torpor. The next one, if none of that, if all that fails, you get up and you start doing walking meditation. And if you're doing walking meditation and you're still nodding off, that's really, really dangerous. So the last one is that you go and you take a nap. So if worse comes to worse, go to bed, get some rest. Actually, that's also important. I mean, you, we all know that's important for every aspect of our life. Get enough sleep. 
if you have to, you know, if you have to go to bed earlier and get enough sleep, then you do it. Because, you know, this is especially like here, the day is long. You know, first meditation is a five, wake up at four, we're, we're in here until like nine o'clock. That's a long day. And, it, you know, most of us take naps in the middle of the day and all these kind of stuff. And, and you know, we're busy and, and a day like that. So afternoon uh, night meditation, we're all struggling just to kind of stay awake, right? So having enough sleep is important. So, and so the bowl simile for this is a, uh, a bowl that has all kinds of moss and water plants and everything on, on top of the bowl. So you can't see uh, clearly, you can't see the water. And again, you can't see what's good for you and others and you can't see any of that. So the next, um, so the next one is Udatya Kukucha, which is restlessness and worry. Um, you also can be, uh, I think that one of the newer translations is worry and flurry. Um, I've heard anxiety. So this is basically anything, any kind of mind state that instead of contracting the mind, you know, in, instead of contracting, it's distracting. If you remember from the uh, um, Chitta Nupassana, uh, the, in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, observing mind and mind, a contracted and a distracted mind. So you're, you're observing these minds. So this is a distracted mind, a mind where the monkey mind is just going in full, full tilt. Everything's going, the, everything is coming up in your mind from the past, uh, for the future, worries, all of this. So this is udacca kukucha. And so <clears throat> the nutriment of this is interesting because the nutriment is that there is an unsettled mind paying careless attention to it. So getting wrapped up in all of, the, all of the narratives, all of the thoughts that are going in your mind, getting wrapped up in them, I, I think about them as like thought bubbles or thought worlds that arise. And then you just kind of get dragged away into those thought worlds, thought bubbles, until the bubble pops and then you're back into your body and you're back, you have your mindfulness again. Uh, that's a very common thing when following the breath, getting distracted away and coming back. So not, getting, not letting yourself get wrapped up in that and, and just unmindfully going away to wherever your mind wants to go, that's how you nourish this restlessness and worry. And the denourishing is also interesting. There's quietude or quietness of mind. Paying careful attention to that frequently is how you denourish. And again, it's, it's something that I found in my own practice. If I'm following the breath and I'm having trouble concentrating, if I notice that my mind is quiet, if I actually focus my mind on a quiet mind, my concentration just skyrockets. It's, it's interesting. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but it works. Because um, you're focusing on that, the quiet, you're focusing on the fact that there's no worry flurry, there's no future, you know, future thoughts, past thoughts, all of these things in your mind. You're focusing on that calm quietness. 
and uh, that really helps with the concentration. And so <clears throat> there's a, uh, a little tip that I learned here years ago that really has helped with you have a really, really rough mind, you know, this fully wrapped up in this um, restlessness and worry. It's a counting method that I learned from Bhante G on a retreat. And so what you do is you begin to count. Every time you take a full breath in and out, so the full cycle of the breath, you count one. Full cycle of the breath, two. Likewise, all the way up to 10. And then you go back. Next, nine, eight, and you go back down to one. And so when you go back up again, you go up to nine, you go back down to one. You go back up again, you go up to eight, you go back down to one. Seven, one, six, one, five, one, four, one, three, one, two, one, and then you're done. I can guarantee you, most of us, you'll, you'll rarely ever make it to the end before you mess up and you have to start all over again. <laughs> but the, if you do this, it, in my experience, it really works. Most of the times, if I use it these days, I don't even make it halfway through the cycle when my mind is calm. So that's a really, really good tip, a really good thing to, to do when you have this restless, anxious mind. Of course, that's really just a Band-Aid. You know, I mean, that, that's something that you can do to try to quiet the mind right then and there. But to really make it so that in the future, your mind has less of this anxiety and worries and all these kind of things, you have to set the groundwork for that now. That's what you guys are doing being here at a meditation retreat. You could be doing whatever. You, don't, you, know, you have to set the groundwork to make the decision that, you know, I want to practice in a way so that in the future, my mind is not going to be so enraptured and so wrapped up and, and so full of restlessness and worry. So this is what the meditation practice is for. This is, for, this is why we do this practice, so that all of these, you know, we're setting the groundwork for all of these hindrances to abate. And so the simile for this sutta, or for this uh, one, is that there is a pot and it's stirred by the wind. So you ever see like, you know, watching a lake and, you know, the wind comes and there's ripples and all these kind of things. So the water is rippling from the wind. And again, it's very, very hard to see your reflection and to think and act mindfully when you're in this mind state. And so the skeptical doubt, vichikicca, the the nutriment, the nourishing, how do you do that? 
things that are a basis for doubt, frequently giving careless attention to them, is the nutriment for doubt. So again, all the things that come up, like, oh man, I don't know if I can do this practice. I really suck at this, all these kind of things. And you just like, you know, instead of, instead of saying, you know what, no, you know, I'm doing the best that I can. You're like, yeah, oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, I really suck. It's, you know, so you're, these, these doubts and these things that come up in your mind and you just run with it. You know, you, you don't realize that you can say no, you know. You don't realize, you don't know that there's a way to, <clears throat> a way to go against that, to be able to say, you know, I don't. You know, these doubts, these doubts are here, but there's something I can do about that. And so to denourish doubt, actually interesting, one of the, way, the, one of the, the ways you denourish doubt is yoniso manisikara, literally paying careful attention. And the other way that the Buddha gives is that there is wholesome and unwholesome um, blameless and blameworthy acts, you know, paying attention to the contrast. So basically, like thoughts that arise in your mind, actions that you do, actions that other people do, really, pay, really observing the contrast and observing the skillfulness or the unskillfulness of that. So right there, the, what the Buddha is giving as, as the antidote to doubt is, is insight is understanding. So when you have that insight, when you have that understanding, there's no more doubts. That's why the Sotipana has no more doubts about Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, the path, and all of that stuff, because they've seen it for themselves. They have the insight and the wisdom to understand that there's no more doubts. So, so when we have these doubts, doubling down on your practice, really trying to examine your experiences, examine, examine that doubt. Where, where is that doubt coming from? What is, that, what is the mind state of that doubt? And so when you do this, then you can understand it. And there's a, there's a, a really, one of my favorite suttas in terms of understanding the, like the Buddha is saying, the skillfulness and the unskillfulness. It's called the Dvedavataka Sutta. And it's Majjhima Nikaya number 19. It's called Two Kinds of Thought. And in, in this sutta, the Buddha is talking about when he was, before he was a Buddha, he, um, he decided that he would split his thoughts into two categories. And the two categories fall down the line of right intention and wrong intention. So thoughts of... Um, renunciation, letting go, thoughts of um, metta, goodwill, thoughts of compassion on one end, thoughts of greediness, covetousness on, on the other end, thoughts of um, ill will, and thoughts of harmfulness on the other. So, and he says as he was doing this, he could see that these thoughts arisen, like unskillful thoughts, Wrong intention, bad intention has arisen. And these thoughts lead to my, my 
um, you know, my harm and the harm of others. And when doing that, if you do this practice, you, you'll see it's a wonderful practice. You literally, literally examine your thoughts and as they're coming in, and you know what? If I followed this thought and that led to, you know, speech, that led to physical action, what would that do? Would that be harmful or would that be beneficial? Right? So you're examining that thought that arises. You know? Something, uh, a thought of um, letting go, a thought of metta arises. Examine that. What would that, if that, that thought led to speech, led to you know, physical action, would that be beneficial for me? Would that be beneficial for others? So examining, the, taking that sutta and examining how your mind works in that regard, seeing what comes up and seeing how what comes up can affect your life and the people around you, that's developing insight. That's developing understanding. And again, you know, oh, wow, this practice, this, this stuff really works. And so your doubt lessens. You know, for me, it was, I, before I learned a lot about the suttas, I practiced. I practiced for years. And when I started reading the suttas, when I saw what the Buddha was saying, I was like, yes, 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 yes. Everything he was saying matched my experience. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. And so that every time that happened, my doubt w went little, smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. I'm not a Sotipana, so I still have doubt. I can't, I can't say I have none. But, um, you know, but it has gone enough for me to want to become a monastic and to make this practice my life. And, you know, that, that is where this practice, well, I shouldn't say that because everybody thinks if I follow this practice, I'm going to become a, a monk or a nun. But, you know, so, um, but you can see, though, if you, as you follow this practice and the insight arises, and then the doubt goes away. You know, even um, there's many, many sotapanas in, in the suttas. One of them was like a Nathapindika, like the, the, and he was a lay person. So, you don't, that, you know, the practice doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, lead to becoming a monastic but it does lead to this insight and understanding of the world um, and more peace less doubt less all of the hindrances so that's a pretty much a fairly brief run through in terms of the hindrances what they are and how you work with them. Right. How, you know, so you can recognize the arising of the hindrances. You can recognize how the hindrances go away. You could recognize how to denourish, how to let go of a hindrance that has already arisen. You could recognize how to keep a hindrance from coming back up again. Just like as I was saying in the last talk. Through this careful attention, paying attention to the hindrances, noticing them, because that's indeed, that's the only way you're actually going to overcome them. Right? You, you, 
you don't struggle really hard and concentrate and, and grit your teeth and then they go away. They're there. They, they are there because you've set the groundwork for them to arise in the past. It's just part of our previous experience. So we can, now that we understand them, we can learn more about them. We can see how they come up in our own mind and body, in our own experience. And so the more you do that, the more you work with them, the more you can master them and understand how they work. And so then the less you, you know, the less they arise, the easier it is to get into jhanas. You know, the people who have done this practice in the fourth, third jhana, fourth jhana, they've done this practice and they've lived in a way that has <clears throat> allowed them to, to progress in this manner. They've become a master at each step. They became a master of their hindrances. And they became a master of the first jhana, second jhana, third jhana, fourth jhana, by practicing over and over and over and over again. A hindrance arises. You try to work with it. You try to understand it. You didn't do that good of a job. It's okay. The next time, work with it, understand it. You do a little bit better. So a little bit better each time you're working with the hindrances because you see them as they arise. You understand what your mind is like when there's sloth and torpor, when there's restlessness and worry, when there's heavy anger. And you understand that. And so that wisdom gives you the power, gives you the choice to apply the techniques to let them go. And then you can work for your peace and freedom and abandoning these hindrances. And so with that, I wish you guys for the rest of this retreat to have a very good and successful retreat when you go home <clears throat> to keep, these, keep this practice in mind, keep the hindrances in mind. The hindrances are not attacking you just while you're sitting on the cushion. They're there all the time, everywhere. When you're at work, when you're at home, when you're in the car, whatever you're doing, your mind is there. You can, you're able to examine your mind and see what's going on in your mind. So it's something that you, to really work at this and really get good and to understand you have to make it part of what you do. Following that, like that Tvedavataka Sutta, follow, following, watching your two thoughts, right? You can do that while you're sitting on a cushion. You can do that when you're in the middle of a meeting. You know, somebody says something and all of a sudden you have a thought of anger and aversion. You see it right there. It's, that, that's your lesson right there. You don't even, even if you didn't sit down on a cushion for the day, you still practice, you still understood. So we can take these, you know, I wish that you and I hope that you are able to put all of these, uh, what you've learned here, into practice when you go home and that you have much success and benefit from these. So thank you. We'll take a break and come back for meditation.